Hi, I'm Courtney, your host of Food, Wine, and Good Old Times. I'm a public historian on a mission to make history education fun and engaging for everyone. In this podcast, we'll dive into a wide variety of history topics that will spark your love of history and share a delicious food or drink pairing with each podcast along the way. So let's raise a glass to making history fun again. Cheers! Happy April, everyone. We're back with another episode of Food, Wine, and Good Old Times. I am super excited to be here again. But if you are listening to this podcast episode, I have a new baby. Thank goodness for technology so I could pre-record this program. So that way we didn't have to go several months without you all getting more podcast episodes. Today's episode podcast is actually on a topic that I've spoken about before, and I'm really excited to share it with you all today. As you may or may not know, the baseball season has recently started. Um, The Pirates opened up, I believe, this week, and so it is an exciting time. I feel like the start of baseball is really the start of warm weather and sunshine and summer which I think we all desperately want after those long winter months. And I promise I don't only talk about sports. I know my first episode podcast was on football and now this one is on baseball. So I promise this isn't gonna be a trend, but this is such a fun and unique topic, especially for local history that I had to start with this in one of my first episodes. Today we're going to be talking about a local baseball team, the Erie Pontiacs, as well as the Negro Leagues Baseball Organization. The Erie Pontiacs were a black baseball team here in Erie and they were quite popular. So we're going to talk about that today and before I begin though, I think it's semi-necessary to talk about the origins of baseball in general, which can be a little bit tricky. So the legend has it that a man named Abner Doubleday invented the game of baseball one summer in 1839 before going on to be a Civil War hero. And while this is a lovely story, it that's all it is. It is a story. Doubleday never said he invented the game and the timeline of where and when it came up does not match his life story. So sorry if you think that's the start of it, but it's not. Um, There have been many forms of baseball played in the United States starting in the 18th century. And while there was never a specific version or standard rules of play for a long time, um, it was played in some way, shape, or form. It is believed that baseball came from combining two different English games, rounders and cricket. It wasn't until 1845 when the first official baseball team was documented. It was the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club and it was established in New York City. One of the players was Alexander Joy Cartwright and he helped establish the traditional rules of baseball that we know of today, including the standards of playing on a diamond-shaped infield, which was not standard before this. This team later played in their first official game of baseball in 1846. After its creation, baseball quickly became America's pastime and was widely popular. Similar to football, these sports really did take off. But by 1869, the Major League's baseball organization was established in Cincinnati, Ohio, not too far from here. At the beginning of its creation, 
Anyone was able to play on teams and participate, including the black community. However, due to Jim Crow laws, black players were actually eventually removed from the professional teams by the early 1900s. The sport remained extremely popular within the black community and teams played in hometown and church leagues. Many of them would barnstorm or travel around to see who would be willing to play them. It's kind of how they went around scheduling. They would go to town and say, hey, who wants to play us? And that's how they would play their games and travel so much. These teams still drew extremely large crowds because a good sporting event isn't something people want to miss out on. So this wasn't an opportunity lost. Finally, in 1920, Andrew Rube Foster helped with creating a formal league for black baseball players. The league, which was known as the Negro National League, took off and other leagues formed in eastern and southern states, which created a fun competition and rivalries across the country. The league consisted of 22 teams across 13 states. The Negro Leagues thrived from 1920 until 1955 and was widely popular in the United States Canada and Latin America. Then in 1945, Jackie Robinson became the first African American to join a major league team, and soon after, more and more players were being signed on to major league baseball teams. With the integration of the major leagues, the Negro Leagues did see a downfall in participation in the number of teams, and they eventually dispersed. The last team called it quits in the 1960s. So you may be wondering how this ties into Erie, and one of the closest Negro League teams to Erie was the Cleveland Buckeyes, which was obviously located in Cleveland, Ohio, and they joined the league in 1943. While their home base was Cleveland, they played throughout the state of Ohio, and they grew in popularity very quickly, and they actually even won the Negro World Series championship in 1945. The team was briefly owned by former Pope Hotel owner and Erie local Ernie Wright Sr. When the team dispersed in the 1950s, many of the players came to Erie and joined the Pontiacs due to Mr. Wright's encouragement. We'll talk about these players a little later though. So now I'm going to shift more into a local focus and here in Erie. Um, Erie had several church leagues that would play across the county, and the Pontiacs were part of the Glenwood and Lakeshore leagues at various times. Um, their involvement just depended on the year. And now was the fun part of tracking this team um, because there's a lot of changes that baseball teams saw, especially the local leagues and whatnot. And before they were known as the Pontiacs, the team was also known as the St. James AME. They were known as the Gem City Monarchs the Flander Barbers from the Old Lawrence Hotel, and the Empire Athletic Club. These team names would change so often because the teams would typically take on the name of their sponsors. If you think about it today, if you have a kid who plays in a little league uh, group, they usually have their sponsor's name across the backs of their jerseys. I know I think there might have been a year my dad was a sponsor of my one brother's team, so his business was on the back of their shirts. But either way, that's why their name changed so much. But the Pontiacs themselves came to be in 1936 when two players, 
Percival Williams and Ernest Dance approached Carl Longnecker about sponsoring their team. Carl was the owner of Longnecker's Pontiac, so when he agreed to the sponsorship, the Pontiacs were formed. After the nine-year sponsorship ended, they actually continued to use the name the Pontiacs because they were so popular in the baseball world. And like I said, this team was beyond popular throughout their entire existence. They would often draw really large crowds to watch the games, and their home base field was at Glenwood Park, but they were known to travel to surrounding towns and states to play as well. When these games would occur, many Erie locals would actually follow the teams as a traveling fan base, so they never went anywhere without having people to support them and cheer them on throughout the process. There was a brief time, however, in the early 1940s that the Pontiacs weren't actually on the field. While I wasn't able to find the specific circumstance of why this occurred, the Pontiacs were actually kicked off of Glenwood Field for walking off after a game as well as some other reasons. During this time that they were banned, they transferred over to the Lakeshore League where they played many games out of state. The team was eventually welcomed back to Glenwood in 1945 after being missed by many of their fans. So as the team continued on to play, there were some moments in their existence where they really became iconic and some of their games they just became super well known for. And one of the Pontiac's most well known game series was a five game series against another local team, the Spaghetti Shop. This game series drew huge crowds. I mean, there was over 2,500 spectators total and that's quite large if you think about it for a local league. And the winner, which ended up being the spaghetti shop, unfortunately, the Pontiacs did not prevail. Um, the winner took home a $100 cash prize. Speaking of cash, though, you're probably wondering if or how the teams charged for spectators at this game. Well, there wasn't necessarily a fee for coming to the game, but there was always a cash collection. Funds collected at the games were used to support the team and the expenses that came along with it. For the Pontiacs, their most successful and popular collector was Benjamin Franklin Mooney Sr., who was able to charm and woo the crowds and always collect enough for the team. Some would say he was just as popular as the team itself, and I know I can imagine how this man's personality and his presence would really impact the crowds and bring in that money for the team. I grew up in towards Pittsburgh and um, I can think of at the Pirates Stadium, I went to a handful of games in my time. Um, haven't been to one in several years now, but um, there was a gentleman who worked there. He was one of the concession people and he was the lemonade guy. And he would say lemonade in such a unique way that, and he was older as well, and you would just want to go buy lemonade from this guy because he was awesome. I think he passed away several years ago. I can't quite remember, but that's immediately who I think of when I learned about Benjamin Franklin Mooney Sr. Along with Benjamin Franklin Mooney Sr., uh, there were many well-known players on the Pontiacs, and there were several players who stood out, with one of them being Luke Manis. Uh, he was known for being the backbone of the team, and he played almost every position on the field. 
He played for the Pontiacs on and off um, throughout the years until about 1950, but he actually started on the team when they were still known as the St. James AME. Another team player that most Erie locals are familiar with was Sam Jethro, who was another very famous player who originally played for the Cleveland Buckeyes. Jethro's talent on the Pontiacs, though, didn't go unnoticed, and he was eventually signed on to the major leagues in 1950 with the Boston Braves. And that year, he was actually deemed Rookie Player of the Year, which is kind of cool. After moving around to several teams in the major leagues and minor leagues, Jethro eventually moved back to Erie and he played for the Pontiacs until he was 49. There were several other players who really stood out from the crowd and were former Cleveland Buckeyes as well. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I told you I'd come back around eventually. Um, One of these was Willie Grace, who was not only a Pontiac player, but he later served as a team manager and he was eventually playing for the Erie Sailors, which was another local baseball team. Another former Buckeye player turned Pontiac was John Huntley, who became a manager as well, and he helped lead the Pontiacs to a divisional championship. The Pontiacs continued to play and was Erie's best black baseball team until 1956. After that, the team did start to integrate white players onto the team, and slowly afterwards, the team did disperse, moving on to other local teams or just stop playing in general. It was a true loss for the city, and the team went on to be a fond memory in Erie's history. You can actually visit the Pontiac Field, which is located on West 2nd Street. So if you ever want to go check out some local history and do a quick tour, you can go by there. It's got a great mural on the baseball field and a brief history as well. So make sure you check that out if you're in the area. And this has been a topic that I have absolutely adored getting to learn about and to discover because if you've listened to my first podcast episode, you would know that I'm not from Erie originally, so I get to learn Erie's history as I go. And the Pontiacs are so special, and it's so fun to be able to learn about these unique aspects of Erie's history that my hometown really didn't have. So this was really fun for me to learn about and to be able to share with you all today. And as always, here is our pairing for this month's episode. I don't know about you, but when I think of baseball, I automatically think of beer. And I can promise you, even though I am a true wine lover, I am not grabbing a glass of wine when I go to a baseball game. So I would pair this with one of my favorite summery beers, which is the Bumbleberry Beer from Fatheads Brewing. Um, You can typically buy this beer at any beer distributor, so it's not anything local, it's not anything super special. Um, And some bars even have it on tap, so it's easy to find. But if you want a pro tip, I highly recommend adding a vanilla sugared rim to your glass because honestly, it just makes it taste a million times better. So definitely try that if you ever see it. If you're not into beer, try some fresh made lemonade because I also feel like that's a baseball staple. And I'll share a recipe for that on my Instagram and Facebook pages. And of course, I feel like you need to have a hot dog when you go to a baseball game. I don't know why. I think it's the nostalgia of it. 
Um, and I'm not sharing a recipe for how to make a hot dog because I don't know that many people who actually make their own hot dogs. Um, so sorry, you're not getting a recipe for that this month. Um, but I will recommend a place to go get hot dogs. Um, my favorite hot dogs to make at home are from a local smokehouse down in Zillianople. It's called Britner's Smokehouse, and they truly have the best hot dogs in the world. So I will always 10 out of 10 pick those. Um, but when I can't get those, I love going to Lucky Louie's here in Erie to grab a hot dog. They are the best ever. Some of them are real weird, but really good, and I cannot recommend them enough. If you've never been, you need to go, like right now, when you're done listening to this podcast episode, go figure out how to get there and go get a hot dog because you will not regret it. Well, that's all I have for you this month on Food, Wine, and Good Old Times. Be sure to tune in next month for our next exciting podcast. You can head to my Facebook or Instagram page, CB Historical Consultant, that's C as in cat, B as in bat, Historical Consultant, for any links to recipes, show notes, and other fun finds discussed today. Until next time, cheers! <laughs>